0: Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas. I'm the creative arts pastor, and I'm joined by executive pastor Eric Ferris and teaching pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, can I just say how excited we are to be here on stage at the St. Charles campus doing another live recording of the Bible Savvy Podcast. Are you guys excited? Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into the passage, but as I was kind of reading and reflecting on this, uh, the passage we're looking at today, uh, we find the Apostle Paul in a very unfamiliar city, okay? And I thought it might be fun to do some would-you-rather scenarios with you guys to see what you might do if you found yourself in Paul's shoes, okay? So would you rather be in a new city, and when you're looking for a spot to eat, would you rather find new food or familiar food?
1: Oh, no doubt new food. New food? Yeah, if, if I'm traveling, yeah. I don't, I don't want to eat at Burger King or McDonald's <laughs> if I'm in a new place. Yeah, new food, new food, local food.
2: Yeah, I th- definitely new food. A recommendation from from a local is the, the best way. Although I do understand when someone says, you know what, I'm in a place that's unfamiliar. I just want something that feels, you know, like home or that I can understand. But no, you definitely try not No, I don't food. understand that at Nikki? all.
0: Uh, I'm a new food. Yeah, I want to. I want to yeah. explore. I want to try something that I haven't. I haven't had before. What about you guys out there? Would you rather find new food? All right. Would you rather find familiar food?
2: Like There's we're always a few. A spattering. a split
1: there. <laughs> those, those are the people I don't want to travel with.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that one was a little too easy. I'm going to give you a harder one. Okay. So you're still in that new city, unfamiliar place. This time, would you rather be without your wallet or would you rather be without a phone? Now, before you answer, quick disclaimer you cannot use your wallet to buy a phone, <laughs> and you can't use your phone. To pay for stuff. So no Apple Pay. Or I know some of you are trying to finagle your way out of that, okay? So would you rather be without a phone or a wallet?
1: Yeah. N- yeah. I want my wallet. You want your wallet. Yeah. Most people know that I'm pretty old guy get off my lawn when it comes to phones and social media. <laughs> so I have a bad relation with my phone. I don't care if it's not anywhere near me. So, yeah, this one's easy for me. I want money.
2: Yeah, that feels that feels responsible. Like, of course, you <laughs> you need money to do things. But there's a part of me that's like, I think I would be so lost and so confused that if I didn't have my phone, like, I wouldn't even know how to like call for help in an emergency. You know what I mean? Like, you know, nine one one, that sort of thing. Like, even even right now, I, this is a bad sign. But call my phone is not 1- with 1. me.
1: We're traveling in like foreign lands. Yeah, well, yeah it might not even be nine one one. You might not be nine one one. But nine one
2: one in a country. What, what do you think you're gonna get? I. I I don't know, but it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. So maybe I'd keep the phone, but Mm. it's a tricky one. What'd you do?
0: I would do, I would make sure I have my wallet. I couldn't be without a wallet. So what about you guys? Would you rather be without your wallet? (laughs) (laughs)
2: All right, cheer if you vote wallet. Wallet. I want my wallet. All right, phone, phone people, cheer if you want your phone. Yeah. Woo! The the, the foolish people with me here.
0: Oh, that was fun. Thank you guys for participating with us. Clayton, what passage are we looking at Sure,
2: we are looking at Acts chapter 17. So we've been going through the book of Acts. We're going to be in the second half of that, starting in verse 16. So if you have a Bible, this is going to make a whole lot more sense and be a whole lot more fun if you have it open. So open it up to Acts chapter 17. Um, Let me give you an overview of how we're going to do this. So we follow a simple Bible reading method that we teach all the time at Christ Community, and it's always the format we use for the podcast, and it's called the comma method. Uh, That that word, comma, the five letters stand for five different steps— And the reason we do these steps is not because, you know, if you don't do it, you won't figure it out, but it's a really simple way that when you get in the habit of doing it, when you kind of do it explicitly, it kind of works into you and you get good instincts. It kind of becomes second nature and you start to get more out of the Bible. Okay. So we're going to, I'm going to explain it as we go through the podcast, what the steps mean, but to get us started, I want us to actually read the steps together. So say these with me. Comma stands for context, observation, message, meditation Meditation. and application Application. so we're going to start with context context is everything that is around the passage the stuff that makes sense out of what's going on okay so that includes like who wrote the book when it was written uh, some of the stuff about the culture that it's in and what's kind of led up to the passage you're about to read so for the book of acts the book of acts was written by a guy named luke Uh, Luke is a great person to record these events because he was actually present for some of them. He was a traveling companion of Paul, and although he wasn't there for this particular story, he hung out with Paul enough that we know that he heard it firsthand from Paul. So it's a reliable source here. And up until this point, the story of Acts is really the story of the spread of the gospel. So the early Jesus movement, the first followers of Jesus were all people who were in Jerusalem, there's just a little bit more than 100 of them, and they were all Jewish believers. And so that's where the book of Acts starts. But by the end, you get little pockets of people following Jesus in cities all across the world, in lots of different cultures, all sorts of different people. The way the, Bible, the book of Acts describes it is to the ends of the earth you end up. And so we're seeing how that came about. And for the second half of the book, we're following along one guy, Paul, as he travels from city to city to city on these journeys telling people about Jesus, so when we get to this passage, Paul has just traveled through a couple of cities where things didn't go well. Uh, he, he had a few people respond to the message, so that was good. But in each city, uh, some people some worked up a mob to chase Paul out of the city. And it got so dangerous in the second one that his friends said, all right, Paul, you have to sneak out of town. Uh, we're gonna try to settle the situation down here and we will catch up with you. Uh, but since they wanna kill you, you should, you should get out of here. And so Paul is kind of on his own in a new city the city of Athens. Now, Athens is a, a really important town uh, in the ancient world. It wasn't politically very powerful, but it, culturally, it was really, really influential. Uh, literature and art and, and plays came out of there, but especially philosophy. So guys like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates are from there. So Paul is in this new town, checking it out, and we're going to see how he responds. All right. So uh, Eric's going to read the passage here. But as we do that, I want you to be active in, in, as we do this, okay? So the second step in comma is a step called observation. And this is the one where we are just simply looking to see what's in the passage. We're just trying to notice things, even if we don't know what it means, or we're not trying to figure it out, we're just trying to see it. And uh, so I want you, as we go along, uh, to maybe even jot some things down that you notice. But to help with that, we should talk about the kinds of things we're looking for, okay? <laughs> so we've got... Kind of a cutesy little acronym here, okay? It's treats. T R T S. Cutesy. Cutesy. Cheesy. 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 Acronyms
1: aren't meant to be cool. They're meant to be memorable. So in some ways, the cheesier the acronym, the, the
2: better it is. So when you're reading the Bible, you're looking for treats. You're looking for treats. So what are treats? T R T S. What's the T stand for?
0: The first T is theme.
2: Themes. Themes. R. The, the R is repeating words or phrases. The other T?
0: Truths about God.
2: And the S. Something striking. Which is basically the catch-all like it's striking. Like you saw it. It looked interesting. So it can be it anything. jumped out really. to you. Um, so Eric's going to read and you make your own observations and then we'll share ours. All right, here we go. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens,
1: he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. To an unknown god, So, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think. That the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill? In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others.
2: All right, so we're talking about observations here, the things that we have noticed. And I'll get us started with uh, a few things right in the very like first paragraph here. Uh, you may have noticed a whole bunch of uh, terms and references to cultural things that for most of us, you look at that and you say, I I have no idea what that's talking about. You know, the uh, Stoics and the Epicureans and the Areopagus and all of these things. And I'm going to try to unpack what some of these are. But uh, I'm curious from you guys, when you run across those sorts of things that you're like, I don't know what that means. How do you do that? How do you figure it out? Uh, I think I do what probably everyone else does. I Google it. (laughs) Right. That's a a place to start.
1: Right. So, I mean, you're reading a text like this and you see that there were Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. And you're wondering, well, what do do the Epicureans believe and what do the Stoics believe? And so normally, because I read my Bible on my iPad, I normally just Google it to try to give myself a quick education. And even if I look something up like that, I tend to forget a month later. So as you keep bumping up against things in the Bible, you're like, I know I looked it up last month, but I need to look it up again and again. So I Google stuff a lot when I'm reading the Bible.
0: Yeah, Google's a good resource. Um, I like the Bible Project videos. I love the way that they bring just the Bible to life in a very creative way. Um, we always talk about the NFA Study Bibles, which you guys have up here with us. But um, I also go to you. I ask, I ask Clayton because he <laughs> knows everything.
1: When you're reading your Bible, just call Clayton at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, His phone that's number a- is... Oh, boy. Beep Beep. All right. Beep. <laughs> um, you know, pro- probably a good, a good place for a quick word on the, NI- on the NIV study Bible. You know, there's a lot of good study Bibles out there. If you don't know what a study Bible is, a study Bible is just a Bible with a lot of tools in it to help you understand what you're reading. And a generous donor in our church that wants everybody in our church to be Bible readers has made it possible for anybody that wants a study Bible to get one for $10, which is crazy. It's a great deal. You can go on the website to the Bible Savvy section of the church website And if you'd like, and you pay for your NIV study Bible on the website, and then you pick it up at church the next weekend. Um, But that is, once again, a generous person in our church that loves God's word and loves all of us and so wants everybody that wants one to have a a good study Bible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And beyond uh, a study Bible and Googling things, there are other tools that are are helpful for this as you kind of dig into those things. Um, We try to help people get educated about those things. We actually offer uh, classes in how to read the Bible. So a few things that are coming up here in the fall that you want to be on the lookout for. Um, In September, we're going to have a class that we call, kind of casually, we call it Bible 101. It's intro to the Bible. This is specifically designed for people who they say, you know what? I've never really opened up the Bible, or I did one time, and I just couldn't figure it out, so I, I stopped. Uh, it is a class that goes through, all right, here's just what's in the Bible, kind of a, an overview from start to finish, uh, how it's organized, how it all works. It's really, really good uh, for kind of getting your, your bearings on that. And then we have another class we're doing at the same time called Bible 201, which is Bible study method and prayer. And so uh, Eric actually teaches that. And it's where you dig into how do you use a study Bible well? What other tools are out there where you can find information? uh, What's a good practice of how to study? um, And it can really equip you for that. So you you might want to be on the lookout for those uh, in September.
1: Yeah. And I promise in that class, I say more than Google
2: it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's good. Uh, so let's talk about these cultural references here, okay? Um, what, what are we talking about here? So you could actually follow along kind of in that, that first paragraph. Um, in, in verse 17, it talks about the synagogue. So... You got to ask, why did Paul go to a synagogue? What's going on there? Uh, A synagogue is a place where people gathered to study the Jewish scriptures. And so uh, this was a place mostly where uh, Jews would gather, but also some other people that in the passage it calls God-fearing Greeks. So these were non-Jewish people who were curious. They wanted to know more uh, about God and about the Bible. Uh, The next thing that's in there is the marketplace. You probably look at that and you're like, why, why would you go to a grocery store? to start preaching about Jesus. Like, I guess you could, but it's a little bit weird, right? You know, like that's not usually where you encounter that sort of thing. Uh, but in the ancient world, it would be. So they had open air markets and there would be uh, philosophers and teachers of different kinds having conversations and teaching and people would gather out. Uh, and that's the reason why in verse 18, Paul runs into uh, Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. Now, I don't want to give you a whole, you know, ancient philosophy class. But here's a little shorthand way of understanding who these guys are. Okay? So the Epicureans, they believed that the gods were really distant. That whoever made the world, whoever set it up, they kind of left a long time ago. And so the very best thing you could do was just get as much enjoyment out of life as you can, you know? Just like have as much pleasure. The Stoics were kind of the flip side of that. They said, okay, God is actually part of the world. He's like woven into the world. He's, he's kind of the force behind everything. And so the best thing you can do is learn, learn how to live in accordance with nature, kind of rationally, very self-controlled, kind of self-mastery sort of thing. Uh, and they said that was the best way to live. And the two, of the, two groups would debate about this.
1: So Epicureans are YOLO. <laughs> Stoics are no-no. If, if you want or, to think of it that way. Or, way or Epi- Epicureans are... <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Stoics are
0: whatever.
1: Is that, <laughs>
2: that's, uh, that that's 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 as good as we're this gonna get like today? this is
1: a bad philosophy class. Yeah, this is a bad philosophy
2: class. Yeah, job, bad philosophy class. But um, that's who he's interacting with there. Uh, the last cultural thing, uh, before I hear other observations, um, is the Areopagus, okay? So this was actually a location in Athens. Uh, it was a, It's actually a, a, a hill. It's uh, the hill of Ares or the hill of Mars. And it was the place where a city council would meet. And in certain times, they were kind of the authority over the whole city. At the time of Paul, they were sort of the cultural gatekeepers. And so this group were the people who would say, okay, if you're teaching something in our town... Do we feel like this is okay here? And if we hear you out, we don't like it, we're gonna kick you out. Uh, if we like it, we'll let you stick around. So this is kind of an important thing for Paul. So what other observations do you see here?
0: One of the observations that I noted was this mention of um, idols, uh, foreign gods. We see down in verse 29, it says, it mentions like gold, silver, stone, um, images made by human, human design and skill. So it's, it's, that, it's that idol idolatry type of language.
1: Uh, something that jumped out to me in the something striking category is that Paul, Paul sees what's going on in Athens and he sees that it's a very religious place. Like he even says to them, I see you're very religious, but at the same time, he's very distressed
0: yeah,
1: uh, because he sees that the, the, he sees the religiosity, but it seems to be misguided. It's like, it's like the, the statement uh, you can be, you can be sincere about something and be sincerely wrong. Yeah. And so he sees their religious passion, but he's, he's distressed because they don't know who the one true God is.
2: Yeah. Uh, a repeating uh, idea that I see all throughout this passage is uh, words that are about persuasion. So even just in the first paragraph, it talks about Paul reasoning with people, uh, that he's debating with the philosophers. He's advocating things. He's preaching. He's presenting. There's, he's really trying to actively engage. He's not just observing. He's wanting to, to talk about and and persuade people uh, about what he believes.
0: Yeah, I, I love the the word here: strange ideas. Str- strange <laughs> ideas. Presenting strange ideas to I us. I know what you're talking about. Um, one thing that I saw in verses 24 through 28 is like this big chunk of these truths about who God is, and it, you can kind of sum it up in saying like He's Creator, He's Sustainer, He's near, He's knowable um he is he gives life he is like resurrected life it's just a a really amazing picture of who god is
2: and it's almost like paul is trying to answer those philosophies you know like he's saying to the epicureans you think god's far away but actually he's really close and he wants you to seek him and to the stoics you think god's a part of everything and he says no actually god's the creator you know and so he's he's showing contrasts and connections to those ideas yeah
1: yeah, verse uh, verse 29 where it says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And so a, a truth about God here is he is who he is, not who we think he is. Yeah. He, he is. He is who he is, and we don't make
2: him. He made us. Uh, an observation I have is how Paul uh, really engages with the, the culture he sees around him. Uh, there are things that distress him, but there are also things he sees that he says there's something I can work with here. So, uh, one of the things is that reference to an unknown God. Uh, it's interesting. There's a kind of a legend, uh, an ancient legend about, uh, the city of Athens. They had a plague and they didn't know what to do about it. So they figured the gods must be angry. So they offer some sacrifices of the gods. They know nothing changes. So they call this philosopher and he says, all right, here's the solution. I'm going to let loose a whole bunch of sheep in the town. And where the sheep lay down, that must be where, you know, some God we don't know about is. And we're going to sacrifice that sheep and build an altar right there. And uh, we'll see if it fixes something. And so they had, the town was filled with these little altars to an unknown God. And so Paul looks at that and says, here's a place where you have a question. I might be able to answer that. Uh, he He also quotes their poetry which is amazing, which means Paul actually kind of knew the art of the, of the, the culture. Um, and he sees, like, you're singing these songs, writing these poems about even Zeus saying what he's like, and you got a lot of things wrong, but there are some things that are true uh, about the one true God that you have identified. So uh, he, he works with some of those things.
0: Another observation I saw in verse 32 through 34, um, there's three responses that people... Uh, give Paul. There are some that it said that some sneered, so they mocked him. Uh, there are others who wanted to hear more about what he had to say, and then there were some who actually uh, decided to surrender their life to Jesus. And so um, I think that's really I think that's really interesting. I think that's something important there.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's let's go on to the next step in comma. So there are two M's in comma, uh, and you can really do the M's in either order. But today we've decided to start with message, and here's how message works. Uh, When you have made your observations, and you just heard us talk about a ton of different things, and you probably saw even more, uh, you might wonder, okay, what do I do with all of that? What you do is you don't try to handle all of it. You try to pick one thing, one observation, or maybe two observations that are closely connected, and you say, okay, what does that mean? Is there an idea or a principle that I can draw from that? That will that I can apply to my life, and so that's what we're going to try to do. We usually try to kind of uh, do the discipline of putting it in one sentence. It doesn't have to be clever or witty, but just kind of sum it up in a short amount of uh, space uh, to try to understand what that principle might be.
1: Yeah, let me let me interject something here because I, I think this is the step in the in the comma method that is is most helpful, and, and I think that people tend to over overthink the comma method maybe and try to make too much of every step. So. Context is really easy. If if you have a study Bible and you read the intro to the book that you're starting to read, you've pretty much covered context, right? And as you're reading, you might go to the study notes to get some background information. But context isn't very hard. It just kind of happens. And as you're reading, you're making observations, whether you know it or not. If you're actually thinking about your reading, you're making observations. I think when you get to this step of message, where you're asking yourself, "What is one thing that I'm going to take away from this text today?" That's where it transitions your Bible reading just from Bible reading to being transformative. Uh, because you just, you're, pausing, you're pausing long enough to say, well, what am I getting out of this today? Uh, and so I, I just wanted to, to point that out because I think this is the step that moves it from a lot, a lot of us, if we've, if we've grown up in church, we've been around church long enough, your pastor's always telling you, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, have a prayer life, read the Bible. And you can fall into this trap, especially with a reading schedule. Of thinking like, well, reading my Bible every day is what good Christians do, and so if I've knocked out my daily Bible reading, I just pat myself on the shoulder and I move on. But the point the point isn't to just have your Bible reading schedule be some taskmaster. It's to actually get to know the God of the Bible. And so I think I think this step is really important that moves Bible reading from just obligatory Bible reading to actually getting something out of the Bible when we read it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna do that. We're each gonna share our message. And
2: we'll we'll start with you, Eric. What's your message?
1: All right, so mine is, uh, once again, from the verse I read, verse 29, where he says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like a gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And so uh, my message is this. Uh, You don't get to make up what God is like. Uh, We don't decide. We all have thoughts about God, but whatever I think about God is not. I don't form God with my own thinking. God is who he
2: is, regardless of what I think he is. Uh, My message is this. So I'm looking at how Paul interacts with culture and and what I get is every culture is a mix of idolatry, insight, and ignorance. So uh, Paul doesn't just say it's all bad or all good. He recognizes there's a there's a whole lot of things going on here, and that's true of every culture. Um, I, I think sometimes Christians we have a tendency to go one of two directions. Uh, either we say we really don't want to be you know uh, infected, corrupted, however you might put it, by you know the world out there, and so people withdraw and kind of build their own little bubble of Christian you know stuff and reject everything out there, or Just sort of go with the flow. They just say whatever's going on and in some ways no different from the people around us. Just kind of absorb the things of our culture and just sort of assume that that's true. Um, And Paul says neither of those things are are good. We want to look at both the things that point us away from God, the idolatrous things. uh, Also the insights like all truth is God's truth, all uh, uh, goodness is God's goodness, Um, but also the places where our cultures have questions, they're debating things, wrestling, and and, and that's a a place uh, where the message of Jesus can connect and and inform the culture.
0: Uh, My message is uh, when you share the gospel, there will be a range of reactions, and so that just comes from the, that observation that I made that there were some who mocked Paul, there were some who wanted to hear more about Jesus, and there were some who actually surrendered their lives to Jesus. And I think, you know, we are going to experience those variety of reactions whenever we share the gospel with people.
1: I just realized that both of you had like preacher type messages. So, so oh. Clayton went with the three I's, idolatry, <laughs> insight, and ignorance, right? So that's the classic preacher three-point sermon. It's hard and, not and to Nikki, do And Nikki went with the alliteration. You get a range of reactions.
2: Oh, good job. Mm. There you go. What, what happened, Eric? I don't Thank know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, we've talked about our messages. You may get a different message out of the passage. There's lots of things that, that we can find from our observations. But here's what we're going to do for the next step. The second M in comment is called meditation. Now, that's a word that can intimidate some people because they say, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, get in the lotus position. Like, what, like how? light how, a candle. Yeah. Is this, how, mm. I, what am I supposed to do here? Um. And so let me simplify it for you. Uh, when we talk about meditation, we are simply talking about prayerful thinking about the Bible. So you are, you are slowing down enough to let God's word, not just to examine God's word, but almost to let it examine you. It's, it's when you're listening to God saying, all right, you've spoken here what do you have for me? And you're talking with God about the passage uh, and, and how he wants you to respond. So uh, we typically do this on the podcast uh, by giving you about 45 seconds to do this in your own personal time. You might take longer than this, um, but we're going to do this now. So uh, hey, um, can I, before, yeah, before we actually
1: engage in 45 seconds of meditation, a shout out here to a particular teenager in our church and all of the teenagers in our church. I try to share this as often as I possibly can. So, The acronym for this Bible study method used to be COMA, which is very unfortunate. And it is actually a teenager in our church that went to Pastor Jim and said, I think the Bible study method is missing a step. And this teenager's point was, if you connect your Bible reading with your prayer life, it can be really powerful. So it's an invitation of the Holy Spirit of God to say, God, what is it that you want me to get out of my Bible reading today? And so you just pause for a short amount of time and say... Lord, speak to me. What do do you want me to see in this text today? And so this teenager, one, that was brilliant to combine prayer life with Bible reading. Uh, The second is this teenager rescued the acronym. Yes. So it went from coma to comma, which is awesome. So a round of applause for that teenager
2: and all the teenagers in our church. Yes. So here's how we're going to meditate this morning. We are going to give you 45 seconds. And I want you, I'm going to read this passage And I want you to ask God the question, okay, if this is true, how do you want me to respond? What should I do because of this? So this is from verse 27. It says, God did all this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Take 45 seconds to pray and meditate. to the a and comma, the final step here, which is application. And this is the point where we say, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to what God said here? And so we connect our message to our life and uh, try to say, all right, specifically, here's what I could do because of this. Uh, Eric, let's start with you. All right, so for me,
1: this text is a, a good reminder of why it's really important to stay in the word, to be a person that's just constantly reading the Bible. I, I said it like this, the Bible trumps my brain and the scriptures trump my experience. Uh, you know, often we have thoughts about who God is or what he must be like, um, but the, God has revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures. So if I want to know what God is really like, then I read the Bible and not just pridefully think that I, I know everything about exactly how God is. Or when I say the scriptures trump my experience, I think sometimes what happens is we have certain life experiences and we conclude what God must be like based on something that just happened in my life. Uh, But that's that's kind of a, a wrong path too. God has revealed himself, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right, the God of history has revealed Himself in the Scriptures, and so it's just a, for me the application is that's why it's so important to just keep going back to the Bible and and be involved in daily Bible reading. Yeah,
2: that, and that's why we do Bibles have the way that we do yeah. I help with that. Yeah. Uh, my application is based on that message of that every culture is a mix of the idolatrous and the insightful and ignorant. Um, because of that, the application is to not go on autopilot in our own culture. So Paul had kind of an advantage because he was coming into a situation where he wasn't a part of that, that culture. So he could kind of look at it and say, okay, what do I think about this? But when you're in a culture, when it's, it's something you're around all the time, maybe you grew up in that environment, um, it's, it's hard to always d- distinguish those things. It's the proverbial, you know, fish trying to figure out what water is. It's, it's all around you, so you don't always notice it. Um, and so it's really important to be deliberate about thinking through these things. Uh, but just one specific example here, uh, when, uh, in our home, when Michelle and I watch a movie, or even when we're watching a movie with our kids, uh, we will often afterwards sort of have a conversation of saying, all right, what do we think about that? You know, what, what was insightful about that? what did they get that, that pointed to something good and, and beautiful? Um, and also kind of where was it pointing us away from what's true or what's desirable? What, where, where is it? Um, even if it was clean, you know, um, maybe no swearing or sex to censor, but uh, it was still telling us to love things that aren't uh, of God. And so uh, we process those things uh, together and with our kids when we do movies. I think you're a better dad than I am. (laughs) Do
1: do you know what I tell my kids after we watch a movie? Go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, the reason we watch movies is that I don't want to talk to my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that too far? Come on, some of you parents do that. Hey, you I, know you do. Don't stop judging me.
0: <laughs> okay, my turn, my turn, my turn. Let's, let me redeem this here. Okay, so I have actually two applications for this passage. So my first one uh, is based on that the, the, the three responses that, that uh, Paul got. So mine is you, we can't let the idea of possible rejection stop us from sharing the gospel. So it, it's this idea, like, if, you, if we have a complex that we, are, we lack eloquence or uh, our finite understanding of a particular topic. I sat up here today with Eric and Clayton and I know that you guys can precisely and eloquently share the gospel way better than I can. But here's what I can do. I can tell people why I believe in Jesus and I can tell people how he's changed my life and then I can trust that God through the Holy Spirit will take my words and do what only he can do with them. He's you, the only you, one you that's gonna make them effective. Huh? I got a golf,
1: golf clap. Golf
0: clap. I got a clap. Mm-hmm. Golf-
1: yeah, there yeah, we go. Right. Golf claps are terrible. That's pretty good, Nikki.
0: So that was my first one. My second one comes from that passage that we meditated on, um, that one where it said that God did, did all of these things so we might seek him and find him and, and come to know him. And it's, it's this idea that some of us have um, a decision to make about what kind of response we're going to have to the gospel, to this Jesus we hear about. Some of us... Are some of us going to choose to um, mock it? You know, like they they mocked Paul and they called him a babbler. Or are we going to uh, choose to seek and try to understand more about this Jesus that we're hearing so much about? And are we actually going to take that step of saying, no, I'm going to put my faith in him and I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus? Um, Those are two things that are pretty big applications for me.
2: Uh, Those are good. Really good.
0: (laughs) Well, that is all that we have for you today, friends. Thanks for joining us this week. If you want to listen to us next week you can check out next monday's episode we'll be looking at another passage from the bible savvy reading schedule and in the meantime if you're not following along with the reading plan you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to read along lastly you can subscribe leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at lastly tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week